Venous thromboembolism is a lethal disease of both genders, yet women in high estrogenic states are at particular risk. What do we know about the mechanisms underlying these risks? The answers can help protect both the patient and the family members from heritable clotting disorders. You are listening to ReachMD, XM, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing the thrombophilias. In this segment, we will be focusing on the risk of thrombophilias in women. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. With me today is Dr. Charles Lockwood. He is the Anita O'Keefe Young Professor of Women's Health and Chair of the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences at Yale University School of Medicine. Dr. Lockwood does homostasis research and is an internationally recognized expert on thrombophilias. Dr. Lockwood, can you review the definition of venous thromboembolic events for the purposes of this discussion? VTEs, as they're known in the medical literature? A venous thrombotic event would be an inappropriate clot occurring in a blood vessel, obviously in this case the vein, that can lead to uh, adverse outcomes, whether that would be venous insufficiency of the lower extremity or pulmonary embolus, potentially resulting in, in death, or strokes. So basically, inappropriate thrombosis in a vein. Since strokes and heart attacks are often lumped together, I think we should make a distinction that that's generally not a reference to myocardial infarctions since the clot usually occurs in the artery in the heart. That's right. So DVTs in the legs, pulmonary embolus, or a thrombotic stroke, but not myocardial infarctions. That's correct, and not strokes due to arterial clots as well. I see. Now, three specific circumstances in women seem to be associated with an increased risk of these thromboembolic events, and that would be pregnancy, hormonal contraception, and perhaps even menopausal hormone replacement therapy. What is the mechanism underlying the increased risk during these hormonally heightened states? One common mechanism is estrogen. And estrogen has peculiar effects on the liver to increase the production of the clotting factors. In some women, up to a 1,000% increases can be found in response to either pregnancy or hormonal contraceptives or hormone therapy for postmenopausal patients. In addition to the effects on increasing clotting factors, estrogen also decreases the amount of circulating protein S, which is a critical anti-clotting factor. And estrogen increases levels of plasminogen activator inhibitor, which is an inhibitor of fibrinolysis, of the breakdown of a clot. So when you're on estrogen, you're more likely to clot, you're less likely to stop clotting, and you're less likely to break down the clot as fast as if you were not on estrogen. And pregnancy is a hyperestrogenic state. A question that comes to mind, certainly hormonal contraception in layperson terms is designed to fool the brain into thinking that the patient is pregnant, so ovulation is suppressed. But menopausal hormone replacement therapy has a different purpose entirely, and presumably the amount of estrogen given is much less. So does estrogen replacement therapy given in a menopause create a meaningful increased risk of clotting? It does, and it would seem a little counterintuitive because the levels, as you point out, of estrogen being given to these women are substantially less than they are if, for example, they were pregnant or they were on oral contraceptives. So why is that? Well, the real biggest risk factor for clotting in women is not estrogen, it's age. And the older a woman is, the higher her likelihood of having a clot. So this is a fairly dramatic association 
between the risk of thrombosis and age. So the reason that hormonal therapy in postmenopausal patients is associated with such a higher risk of clotting is that it's being given to older women and not to a you know, 23-year-old, but rather to a 53-year-old or a 63-year-old. So even a small dose of estrogen, which otherwise would be barely noticed, in an increased risk population as they age can make a clinically significant difference in risk. That's correct. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Charles Lockwood, chair of the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences at Yale University School of Medicine. He is also an internationally recognized expert on thrombophilias. Today, we are focusing on the risks of thrombophilias in women. Why are women at increased risk for clotting as they age? Perhaps a naive question, but on the other hand, I'm sure many of our audience members are wondering the same thing. It's also true of men, so it's an equal opportunity problem. And in fact, men begin to have an increased risk earlier than women. So age has a number of effects on the system that can promote clotting. For one thing, as we age, we tend to become more obese. Obesity is a major risk factor for clotting. Obesity leads to an increased amount of estrogen in women, which has the effects I just described. Obesity itself is associated with chronic inflammation. Inflammation can lead to tissue factor expression in blood vessels, which can promote clotting. Obesity is often associated with sedentary lifestyles, and that reduction in activity can promote clotting as well. And so a combination of hormones, inflammation, and decreased activity can certainly predispose people to clotting. So that's one mechanism whereby getting older is associated with higher rates of clotting. Then in addition, as we age, our blood vessels become more disrupted and create a surface more conducive to blood clotting. And then as we age, there is a progressive incompetence to the valves in the lower extremities that can lead to stasis of blood, which is a a risk factor for clotting as well. So there's lots of ways in which getting older predisposes to clotting. Another question that frequently primary care doctors have is how safe are progestin contraceptives? You've made a strong case that estrogen increases clotting, but what about the progestins? Is it safe to give a 35-year-old smoker Depo-Provera, for instance? So how safe really are the progestins, I guess is what I'm asking. Well, in my opinion, very safe. And despite the product labeling, there is absolutely no evidence that progesterone therapy by itself in isolation without an associated estrogen treatment is associated with an increased risk of clotting. So I would say very, very safe. So it is a reasonable strategy, not that you're endorsing it across the board, uh, big disclaimer, that for some doctors who are giving Depo-Provera to smokers when no other contraception seems to be appropriate, they're probably not increasing their risk as they would be if they were giving combined contraceptives. Absolutely. I'd like to ask about the specific risks of clotting posed by the six, the big six, the big six thrombophilias. Briefly, if we can, what about the risks of factor V Leiden, uh, both in a homozygous and a heterozygous state? In pregnancy, this is obviously a major risk factor for clotting. And about 40% of women that have venous thrombotic events in pregnancy are found to have the factor V Leiden mutation. So it's a major, major risk factor. Now, a critical 
modulator of that risk is family history and your own history of clotting. So, for example, if you're a woman who's pregnant and happens to find out that you have factor V Leiden, but you have no personal history of venous thrombosis, and you have no affected first-degree relatives, so your mom, your sisters and brothers and children haven't had clots, then the risk of having a clot during that pregnancy is only about 0.2%. Very, very low risk. And we wouldn't recommend anticoagulant therapy. Is that even for the homozygous state? That's for the heterozygous state, which is the most common by far. If you take the same woman and her mom had a venous thrombotic event, now she has a 10% risk of clotting during pregnancy and should get anticoagulation therapy, in my opinion. So heterozygosity for factor V Leiden, most common cause of venous thrombosis in pregnancy, 40%, and probably also true of non-pregnant women. But the critical modulator of risk in these factor V Leiden heterozygous patients is personal or family histories of venous thrombosis. Now, with factor V Leiden homozygosity, where they have a double dose of the mutated factor V gene, their risk, if they have no personal or family history of venous thrombosis, is about 1.5%. Still very, very low, and some people might advocate not even treating them during pregnancy and just treating them with anticoagulation in the postpartum state. Others might say that's high enough to warrant anticoagulant therapy during pregnancy and postpartum, usually with heparin is what we give, or low-molecular weight heparin. But if you take that same factor V Leiden homozygote patient and give them a personal or family history in a first-degree relative of venous thrombosis, they now have a 17% risk of clotting during pregnancy and clearly ought to get anticoagulant therapy. And some people would say therapeutic anticoagulant therapy with heparin, a low-molecular weight heparin, during pregnancy. So the moral of the story here is that family and personal history of venous thrombosis is a critical modulator of the risk of a thrombophilic patient in general and factor V Leiden patient in specific of clotting during pregnancy. So simply having the test results is just not enough to give advice. Got to get a, a family history and a personal history. What about the prothrombin gene mutations? Very much the same story. If you have the prothrombin gene mutation, 3% of European women will have it, but you have no personal or family history of venous thrombosis, your risk of clotting in pregnancy is only 0.4%, 0.4%. So that's, again, low enough that most people would not advocate anticoagulation therapy during pregnancy or postpartum, with the exception being C-sections, which really... After a C-section, you're much more likely to clot. And so for these factor V Leiden and prothrombin gene mutation carriers that have no personal family histories, if they have a C-section, I would recommend anticoagulation therapy, initially with heparin and then warfarin during the postpartum period. 0.4% risk without a personal family history, but a substantially higher risk in these prothrombin gene mutation heterozygous patients, greater than 10% with such a history. So, again, family and personal history are critical. As we close, I would just like to touch on heparin prophylaxis during pregnancy. I've seen any number of suggestions for cocktails, 5,000 units BID first trimester, 10,000 BID second trimester, maybe 15,000 BID third trimester, and that's heparin. Is there any consensus on what prophylaxis means? <laughs> there is a lot of controversy as to whether or not Patients that are on prophylactic levels of either unfractionated heparin or low molecular weight heparin during pregnancy should be followed. So, for example, with low molecular weight heparin, we do routinely assess 
anti-factor 10A levels about four hours after a prophylactic dose. And we would certainly recommend that everybody that's on therapeutic levels of low molecular weight heparin be followed. And that's because there's data for both unfractionated heparin and for low molecular weight heparin that unlike the non-pregnant state, there's tremendous variability between patients. So we do monitor anti-factor 10A levels and we adjust the dose accordingly. I want to thank Dr. Charles Lockwood, Chair of the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences at Yale University School of Medicine and President of the Society for Gynecologic Investigation, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the thrombophilias. In this segment, we focused on the risks of thrombophilias in women. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.